0: So we're going to go ahead and continue on in the, and Second Peter. You guys been enjoying it so far. I really enjoy um, going through these things, going through the book uh, of the Bible verse by verse, because what I found is that uh, as I study this stuff, I realize that much of my Christian walk, I've glossed over a lot of this stuff. You know, I read my Bible, and I and I think that's why we get new stuff every time we read it, because. Because there's there's so much packed into the word of God that we miss when we just take it in a casual glance. And uh as I was studying this, I man, there's just so much stuff that I, I didn't even see before. I'm like, man, there's, there's stuff here I never even noticed. I just I, I guess you just read through it, you kind of gloss over it, or you I don't know what it is, but but the word of God has got so much packed in it, and so much for our lives. And and uh as we've gone through Second Peter. Um, you know, we're only going to go through a handful of verses, 10 verses today, but there's so much packed in that. Joseph told me last week, he said, uh, he had, I think, what did you have, 12 verses, and he said, there's just so much in that little bit, I, I went over time, and I'll try not to go over time today, but uh, uh, there's just so much, and I'm so thankful that the Word of God is active today, it is powerful, it, 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 it actually has power in our lives it makes a difference. So I just pray as we hear it today that our faith would increase because how does faith come? By hearing. And, uh, and I, I would encourage you that this wouldn't be the only time you go through this stuff. I mean, this, this is actually a great time. You know what I'm, we're going to be preaching on next week, the next half of the next chapter? Read it. Get ahead of the game and actually start learning about this because truthfully, if the only words you ever get is on Sunday morning, it's not enough. You need to be in the word regularly. And we're actually going to talk about it a little bit today. But last week, uh, as Pastor Joseph was preaching, we, we began chapter 2 with Peter warning of false prophets. How many of the false prophets are a problem? They can deceive people, they can lead them astray, and the reality is, is there's always been false prophets. It's not something new to today's world or false teachers, but there's, there's always been false prophets since the beginning, all through the New Testament, and, and then on to uh, even today. We see them all the time. And the interesting thing here is, is Peter's not referring to, like, the prophets of Baal. I mean, they're false prophets too. But did you know the prophets of Baal, they were false prophets, but they weren't the most damaging false prophets? The most damaging false prophets were Jewish false prophets at those times. Those were the ones who pretended to know God and pretended to speak for God, but they were just deceiving people. That is so much worse because what happens is you get situations where it looks so much like the real thing. But it's not. It's so much easier to deceive people, to tickle their ears, to get them to, to follow you. And you probably don't have to think that hard for even now to hear about stuff that, that it looks like the real thing, but it's not quite there. It's missing the important stuff. And Peter's warning about these, uh, the, the, there were false prophets in, but now he's warning about false teachers now. Because this is actually an interesting time in the church. Is they're, they're, Christianity is a new thing, and they're all hungry for the Word of God, and, and people are seeing that, and they're going to come in and start to try to take advantage of the people of God and begin to tell, tell, twist the Word of God and tell stories and tell lies and deceptions really for no other purpose than to benefit themselves. And unfortunately... And this goes for today, too, is there are many who will endure this kind of deception, this kind of message, because they're actually in it just to have their ears tickled. They're looking for a message that fits their life instead of the truth of the Word of God. 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. You don't have to look very far to see this kind of teaching right now. And unfortunately, there are even Christian churches who, are, who are, are championing things that are so obviously at odds with the Word of God that it just it blows my mind. But the problem is they're gaining following because there's a lot of people that, that want the promise of the gospel, but they want it their way. They want the promise of the gospel, but they want to keep living the life that they're living right now. When the reality is, is if, you get, if the gospel gets a hold of you, your life changes because something inside of you changes. You're no longer who you used to be. Something inside of you changes, but so many people are looking for teachers that are going to say, Oh no, that's okay. You can keep on doing that. You know, and there's extreme stuff. I mean, there's 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 teaching out there right now that is that is preaching that that homosexuality is okay. They're preaching that abortion is okay. I saw my wife and I were watching a a, a video of a pastor the other day, and there's this girl that that uh, does art, and I guess there's a. Uh, Uh, some common art out there called Jesus is with you always or something like that and they're just little comics and I've never actually seen them but she was mimicking their style and one of them was this picture of a girl walking down this this aisle and and you can tell she's going to an abortion clinic and there's people on the side with signs saying awful things and the truth is as Christians we shouldn't be hollering awful things at people either that's not very Christian-like either but then it showed Jesus walking behind her, protecting her from these people with a big smile on his face and approval of her going to get an abortion. The next one was a picture of a girl on an abortion table and, 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 and she's laying back and the doctor's doing his thing and Jesus is sitting there right there next to her saying, with you always. And she, she came out and said that this was the idea of, of, of Jesus approving of abortion. It's this false teaching that, that, that people want Jesus but they want to keep doing it their way. Now, I want to be clear that, that uh, if anybody's ever had an abortion, that doesn't mean God doesn't love them. It doesn't mean that Jesus hates them. It doesn't mean any of those things, because how many know the grace of God is amazing? And he will forgive you for anything that's ever happened. But just because we're forgiven for stuff, it doesn't mean it's okay. You know, I thank God that there's a lot of sins in my life that, that I've committed that I'm forgiven for. But I won't do, I didn't do those things proudly. I won't do them now and saying, oh, because I'm forgiven, I can do whatever I want. The truth is the gospel is there to change you. The gospel is to, to set you free from all of those things. But there's so many people that just want to uh, find something that lets them feel spiritual, but also have approval for their lifestyle. But so many times in the New Testament, we have the writers warn about these kind of teachings, these false teachings, saying the stuff that's untrue. This is what uh, uh, Paul said to the Galatian church, Galatians 1, 6 through 9, I'm astonished that that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. We have to be very careful if there's any different gospels showing up. What is a different gospel? What is the, the gospel in a nutshell? Jesus lived, he died, he rose again, and because of that we have forgiveness of our sins and we have a brand new life inside of us. That's the gospel in a nutshell. So if somebody says that, that uh, your path to God is, is, is you gotta believe in Jesus and you have to do this, that's a different gospel. If, if you, anything else, Jesus plus anything is a different gospel. Anything minus Jesus is a different gospel. And he says, he says, You're so quickly turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one, but but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. You know, Paul was was shocked that they were turning to a contrary gospel. And he said that, listen, guys, if anyone preaches to you a different gospel than the one that we brought, even if I come back in two years and preach you something different, let me be accursed. That if an angel shows up from heaven and it's contrary to the word of God, let them be accursed. That's an interesting statement for those who claim to have greater revelation from God at a different time in history that supersedes the word of God, because this is pretty clear. If something else comes, and it's a different gospel than what we preached, then let them be accursed. So like Paul, Peter wasn't too fond of those who would twist and distort the gospel either. And as we finish chapter 2, we're going to see him begin to not so nicely describe those people who would do such a thing. In 2 Peter 2, 12-13, it says, But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong is the wage of their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. So, to wrap things up, we have to determine who is who is Peter talking about, and if you go back not too far in the beginning of chapter two, you see these actually talking about those false teachers that were bringing destructive heresies. In verse ten, we see that these are those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion, and they despise authority. They despise the authority of church leaders. They despise the authority of the Lord. And then these are those who, in verse 11, it says these are those who are bold and willful and they blaspheme the glorious ones without trembling. And there's some disagreement on who the glorious ones are, who they're talking about. The, some people say that it's, it's fallen angels, which there's some support for that based on the, the earlier verses where he was talking about, about angels. Um, there are some that say he's talking about uh, uh, other Christians, blaspheming them, or he's even blaspheming Jesus or God. Uh, there is some disagreement, and, and theologians, uh, the, theologians, the, those folks, theologists, theologians, there's some disagreement on who they're talking about. But the one thing that's for sure is that whoever they're talking about, even the angels don't pronounce judgment on them. But these men want to go ahead and step up and, and do the very thing that even the angels wouldn't dare to do. These false teachers, they despise current authority and then actually they're also trying to asu- authority, usurp authority that is not theirs. They're trying to gain an authority that doesn't belong to them. So Peter continues on about these false teachers. He says, so that's, those are the ones we're talking about. He says, but these like irrational animals, creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed. Basically, these people are, are acting completely on instinct. They have no real revelation of truth. It's all a, an internal selfish instinct that they're dealing with. And they spread their misinformation based on this, 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 this instinct that they have no more than an animal. How many of you guys would go to your dog, your pet dog, or your pet cat for... Pet cat. Pet cat. Or your It's going to be just as effective. Who of you are going to your animal's... For spiritual advice. How many of you guys have had an animal that can have a reasoned conversation with you? They oper- animals operate on instinct, right? Everything that an animal does, they're, they're trying to fulfill some need, some base instinct. And animals, they don't act with reasoning. They act based on, on, on something internal, something more raw than that. They, they can't reason. They can't think. One time my dog... Bruno ended up going after a guy who we told we he was in our house doing some work and we told him hey Come back on we were at work. He had met the dog. He was fine with the dog Bruno was fine with him and we asked him to come back and do some work in our backyard Said, "Hey, just we know we keep the door unlocked. Just come on in Bruno didn't agree with that (laughs) And he ends up going after this guy And the thing is you're like Bruno Don't you know you already talked to this guy? Don't you know you already met him? I mean, animals don't reason? They operate on instincts. Bruno was just doing his job. Somebody was coming into his house. Completely instinct, but no reasoning. Nothing more than that. Bruno was trying to fulfill some internal need to protect. An internal need to, to protect his home and everything there. It was all instinct. And that's basically what these guys, they're, they're acting on an instinct to fulfill some internal desire. And ultimately, the, the, Peter says this is going to lead to their destruction. He says they're blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, and this will be destroyed. Will also be destroyed in their destruction, or they will also be destroyed in the destruction. These people, by the very same stuff that they're doing, is going to end up destroying them as well, just as they are destroying others out of some instinct trying to lift themselves up, trying to steal authority. Paul, or Peter's going to talk about that in a little more detail in a second, what they're actually going after. But this instinct to fulfill themselves, to lift themselves up, in doing that, they're destroying others. They're destroying the church. They're destroying the, the, the truth, distorting the word of God. And ultimately, they're going to become corrupted by the very corruption that they're spewing out. They end up getting their own reward. And then he goes on to say they count uh, it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They're blots and blemishes. How many of you would like one of the apostles to refer to you as a blot or a blemish? But he says they also revel in the daytime. This is how the New Living Translation translate that. Like, remember, I told you that. If you ever read something and you're trying to figure out what it says, one way that you can help understand it is read a bunch of different translations. If you read a bunch of different translations, you'll usually get to the idea of what is trying to be said here. But this is what the New Living Translation says. It says, they love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They revel in the daylight. This word can also be translated to they carouse they party, they, they're, they're, they're living in sin in broad daylight. And they, they commit these evil acts in the presence of all, but they do it with deception in such a way that, that people actually approve of what they're doing, think they're doing the right thing, but they're actually reveling in evil right in broad daylight. Everyone can see it. But because of their deception, and they're causing issues. That's why it says here that they revel in their deceptions while they feast with you. These false teachers will come and they'll, they'll intermingle with them, but they'll begin to sow uh, distrust and disunity and a uh, uh, distorted truth. Because the truth is, is they just, they want people to follow them. They're looking for that power and that authority. In Second Peter 2, 14 through 16, it says, they have eyes full of Adultery. They're insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. The only person that actually had a reasoned conversation with an animal. See, the thing is, is these false teachers, they basically have two goals. One, they want to satisfy their own lusts and desires. The teaching that they're doing is, like I said, is to fulfill that base instinct. They're trying to lift themselves up. They're trying to fulfill whatever desire that they have. And the second goal that they have is to to gain people, to gain followers to their cause. They're trying to bring people to follow them because how many know if they can get people to follow them, they get the power they want. And they can start getting the other things they want. And Peter lists a few of them here. One, he says they have eyes full of adultery. Eyes full of adultery. You probably don't have to think back very hard to see uh, all kinds of times where people in power have used false teachings to try to lure unsuspecting women and, I, and men as well into adultery, into, into uh, uh, ungodly relationships. And we've seen people use their, men use their power, and even women use their power to destroy relationships, to, to split up marriages, to do those things, because these people, these false teachers, these men in power, they're trying to, to, to get something, they're trying to gain something, and it says that their eyes are full of adultery. The whole purpose is to lead people astray and to exercise that power over them. And then it goes on to say they're insatiable for sin. How many of you guys know what insatiable means? Insatiable. Nobody knows what that means. It's not a real world. But insatiable, what that means is they can't get enough. <laughs> they, 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 they just can't get enough of sin. They, they're, they're, they're pulling for it. And then it says that they are enticed unsteady souls because they're looking for power. They're looking to deceive people who may not have a solid foundation in the Word of God. How many of you know if you have a solid foundation in the Word of God, it's going to be a lot harder to deceive you if you don't? That's why it's so important for us to have that solid foundation. That's why it's so important that you have to be reading your Bible outside of Sunday morning. If this is the only time you crack your Bible, you're missing something. And you can be deceived or you can be tickled by those those false teachings or you're going to get something where you're like, man, I like what they're saying. They're saying this and this and this is okay. And, you know, that fits with my current lifestyle. And we begin to want to have our ears tickled because we don't actually have a foundation in the Word. You have to read the Word of God. You have to spend time in it to understand what God's will is for your life. And the interesting thing is, is that when you'll start to do that, Look, if you're trying to live a Christian life by listing all the things you're allowed to do and not do, you'll never be successful. But if you actually stop Get rid of the list, throw it away, and spend time in the Word of God and watch how you change as you begin to look more and more like Him, as you begin to understand what He wants for your life, as you begin to understand who you are in Him. All of a sudden, your thoughts will begin to align with His thoughts. And it won't be, am I allowed to do this or am I not allowed to do this? It'll be, I don't even have a desire to do this anymore because now my mind thinks like His mind. And, and you don't need the list anymore because you're in step with the Holy Spirit, because your mind is aligned with Christ. You don't need the list anymore. Young Christians ask, what can I do? And really, it's all about how close can I get to the line. They want to see how close they can get to sin without crossing over it. Once you've been in a Christian for a while, you want to be so far away from sin, it, 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 you, you don't want to get as near to it at all. You want to be as far away from it as you can, because you finally have your eyes open, and you see the destruction and the problems that it causes. God's not in it to make you guys not have a good time and steal your fun and make you boring. God God doesn't want any of that. God wants to protect you from what that stuff does to you. So we have to have a solid foundation. Because if we don't, we can hear stuff that sounds good. But it'll steal you away from the truth of the word of God. Because that's what they're looking for. They're insatiable for sin. They entice them, steady souls. And then this is they have their hearts trained in greed. They also want money. you notice that it's these instincts that they're trying to fill, the stuff that they think they need to do to make themselves better. It's all about them. It's very selfish. These false teachers, they're not in it for anybody else. It's all selfish. It's all inward focused. And they want everything for themselves. They want power. They want glory. They want money. And they will do whatever it takes, even destroy other people to get what they want. Because the people are just means to an end for them. Nothing more. And Peter says, they're accursed. They may get some, some monicum of what they think that they want on earth. But one day they're going to pay a price. And it says that, and, and, and probably not going to have to be till they die. They're going to start seeing that eventually. Because the, the, the scripture said right above it, it says what? That they are destroyed. By their destruction. When I was reading this, another image came to mind as well. I think everything that I've shared is accurate. But this particular phrase, his eyes full of adultery. It, it, God began to show me something else, I think. About what he's talking about. I mean, you know, the church is the bride of Christ. We are in a, 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 a marital relationship with Jesus Christ. And when people come in and they begin to steal us away from that, I think that's a valid read of of that adultery that he's talking about. They have eyes full of adultery. They want to steal people away from the church. They want to, to engage in an adulterous relationship with the body of Christ. These false teachers, they want to swoop in and steal his bride away. They want them to, to commit adultery with the one who is faithful and who gave everything for them. This idea is not an uncommon one. You see it in the Old Testament a lot. Uh, uh, God refers to, to, to Israel, to Jerusalem, to, to the, the, the Jewish people as harlots whores like he but he's not referring he's referring to their relationship with him because they're they're cheating on him they're getting involved in other stuff and i think that's what this is talking about these false leaders are trying to cause you to become in an adulterous relationship with the one who gave everything for you you know so many times that when we think about this stuff and we think about sin and we get involved in that stuff it's really easy to to, to think that this is a a a one-person issue if, it, if it's a personal sin, you know, if it's just something we, we begin to see that it's only affecting me. It doesn't affect other people, all this other stuff. But the truth is, is there's another one in that relationship. Another one that you're committed to, that you're, that, that, that you're doing terrible things to. I forget exactly where it's located, but the warning is, he says, you wouldn't join Christ to a prostitute, but when you engage in one, that's actually what you're doing. Whenever you engage in sin, you're joining Christ to that sin, and that's not a good thing to be doing. We have to be careful that we're not carried away by deception. And then he goes on to talk about this. He says, they're forsaking, forsaken the way. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, and they have followed the way of Balaam. You guys know who Balaam is. I think Joseph, Pastor Joseph, talked about him not too long ago. Was it last week? He talked about him last week. If you guys don't know the story, he's kind of a a dishonorable character in the Old Testament. And uh, basically, uh, Balak, the king of Moab, he sees the Israelites coming and they're camping near his territory. And he gets scared because basically God just led the Israelites to a victory against the Amalekites. And the, the, the king, he saw what Israel did, how they were victorious, and he gets afraid. So he calls up Balaam, who's a prophet. And he's, he calls him up and he's going to give him a bunch of money to curse the Israelites. And it's a funny story because uh, when he finally gets over there, he tells the king, and and, and we'll get to this the, the reason why he says this in a moment. But he tells the king, I can only, I'll, I'll do what you ask, but I can only see what God tells me. And he they go and he look over the camp and they see the camp and he goes to, to curse them and instead he blesses them. And the king gets up and said, What are you doing? You just blessed him. It's like, Well, maybe if we go over to this other mountain and we look at a different group of them, we'll try it over there. And he goes over the other mountain and he blesses Israel again. And every time that, that he's supposed to curse the Israelites, he ends up blessing them. But the reason why this happens is because. Balaam had every intention of cursing the Israelites. That was his goal. That was his plan. You know why? He wanted money and power. He was a false prophet. He wanted money and power. The the king of Moab reaches out to him and says, hey, come over here and curse these people for me. me." And he's like, man, it sounds like a good payday. I'm going to go ahead and do it. And he's heading that way. All of a sudden, his donkey starts acting up. And gets stubborn and won't go forward. It won't move. And now he's whooping the donkey, trying to get it to move forward. And finally, the donkey just lays down, won't go anywhere. And now he's getting upset. He's he's whooping the donkey. He doesn't understand what's going on. And finally, the donkey turns around to him and says, "What are you doing, dude? Have I ever not gone where you don't want me to go, be- where you want me to go before? Maybe there's a reason for it." And then God opens Balaam's eyes, and he sees an angel standing between him and the path, and the angel is going to kill him. And the reason why God did this is because God's a little bit ticked that, that Balaam is going to go curse the Israelites. So God says, fine, you go, but you only say what I tell you to say. And that's why he ends up blessing the Israelites and not cursing him. And this really isn't a turnaround story for Balaam. He never really becomes a good guy in the sight of the Lord. Matter of fact, he's responsible for leading the Israelites into cult prostitution, all kinds of stuff. Not a good guy, but... uh. He ended up blessing the Israelites for God, even. But but he was that. That's what, that's what Peter's comparing to this false prophet that's only in it for the money. This isn't like a redemption story. This is just a bad dude. And he says they're just like them, who was rebuked by a speechless donkey. You gotta understand what what Peter's trying to make the point of here, because he just he just uh, compared them to what to animals, creatures of instinct. And now he says, but even the donkey is smarter than you guys. Even the donkey was able to reason more than you guys. These, these false teachers, they were dumber than a donkey. Public service announcement, don't be dumber than a donkey. <laughs> and he goes on to talk about these false teachers in 2 Peter two seventeen through 19 these are waterless springs he's talking about these people again these false teachers they're waterless springs and mist driven by a storm for them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved for speaking loud boasts of folly they entice by sensual passions the flesh of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error and they promise them freedom but they themselves are slaves of corruption for whatever overcomes a person to that he is enslaved what good is a spring without water? Think about it. Like, you know, it's funny. when We glance over this stuff and we don't even think about it much. But what good is a spring without water? A spring without water is literally worth nothing. If you need water, if you're dying of thirst and you see a spring up ahead, you know there's a spring up ahead. You're going up there. You have hope. You know you're going to get the water that you so desperately need to live. You're going to get that life-giving water. You're on the way and you get there and it's empty. A spring without water is worthless. And if it's dry, you're only let down. And it exists only to provide disappointment, not life-giving water anymore. And the same is true as these these mists driven by the storm. The picture here is is of, of clouds forming in the sky, this mist that should be promising rain, that should be turning into a cloud, it should promise rain, it should promise life. Particularly for these folks, they they depended on the rain to make sure that their crops were produced. And you see this rise of the mist coming up and the clouds starting to form. And you think that it's, you expect and you think it's going to be accompanied by rain. But then they just, the mist just gets blown away by the storm. And the rain never comes. It's this promise of hope that delivers nothing. You know, we, my wife loves the rain. And and we see this in Marana all the time. The storms will come in. We look out, and a lot of times from where we live and where we're at, we can see across Tucson, and you see the storm clouds everywhere. And all of a sudden, it starts to darken at our house a little bit. The wind picks up. She's getting excited because she's going to throw a a chair on the front porch and watch it rain, and then nothing comes. No rain, no nothing. That's like happens in Miranda all the time, promise of rain, and nothing comes. And it turns out to just be a tease, (laughs) promising something that it would never deliver. That's what these false teachers do. They promise something that they can never deliver. They offer hope, but the only thing that they ever give is disappointment. And they tease the real thing, but the truth is they're nothing but empty, dried up, unable to be fulfilled promises. Is what they are giving. And the scripture says, it's not a good, you don't want to be these people. It says, for them, a gloom of utter darkness has been reserved not a good place to be, I don't think. And then he says, for speaking loud boasts of folly. Let me give you the, the new Wayne translation. That means lies. By speaking lies, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. Basically what it's saying is that they're, they're by these lies, these boasts of folly, that they're, they're enticing others who are barely escaping the old sinful life that they're in. They hear the gospel, they're barely escaping, they're just coming out of it, and now this false teacher comes in and entices them with these lies to pull them back in to the old sinful life that they were in by these lies that they're telling. And the problem is, is they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves If you're a slave, you can't promise freedom to somebody else. If you want to be free from alcohol, you don't hang out with bars, and you don't hang out with those who drink. If you want to be free from drugs, you don't hang out with other drug addicts. And those who are enslaved to sin can't actually help free you from it. They can't help you to become free. Because they promise freedom, but they're already slaves. It reminds me of when I used to work in restaurants. If you've ever worked in a restaurant, not the most wholesome place to work. And I imagine that's true about many other jobs, but it was particularly true when I worked in a restaurant. And everyone I worked with, when I would mention being a Christian and, and doing those things, they, they would tell me that they didn't want to get involved in that because if they did, they wouldn't be free anymore. The problem is that so many people have a false understanding of what freedom actually is. They don't know what freedom means. Freedom is not about being free to do whatever you want. Freedom is about being free to not do the things that sin compelled you to do. And it used to always just make me laugh internally because they would say, I don't want to be a Christian because then I wouldn't be free to do whatever I want. And I would tell them, well, if you're free to do whatever you want, stop doing it for a week. But none of them ever could because they weren't actually free. They were enslaved to the very sin that they had been deceived into thinking was freedom. So how can someone like that promise freedom? And then he goes on. Second Peter 2 Peter 20 2.20-22 says, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome the last state has become worse for them than the first for it would have been better for them to never have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivering delivered to them what the true proverb says has happened to them the dog returns to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. That was that was some farm coming out of me waller wallow in the mire I actually was, was uh, born in Fort Riley, Kansas. I grew up in Missouri when I was little, and my, my uh, grandparents owned a farm. Uh, so when I, I listened to country music when I was growing up, and we were just talking to music practice to the day that it took me a really long time to, to train that country twang out of my voice when I sing. Every now and then it sneaks back in, and we say words like Waller. <laughs> See, the thing is, though, it says they've escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, but then they're again entangled in them and overcome. You know, to be caught back up in sin, to be enticed away from the freedom that's provided in Christ, after you've already been set free, is a dangerous place to be. Some would say that, if you read the different theologians, some will say that he's talking about the false teachers in this portion of the uh, Scripture here, he's referring to the false teachers that, that have escaped and then got entangled back in. There are some that say that, no, he's actually talking about the, the people that were stolen away, the people that were deceived, the Christians who were deceived. Some say it may be both. I think for me personally, if you go back and you read the verse before, we come about, uh, he's talking about uh, those who are, who are barely escaping from those who live in, live in error. He's referring to these Christians that have been stolen away. And I think uh, the way I read it, he's actually talking about the Christians who were once saved and they're being de- saved, deceived and stolen away. On the other hand, he finishes with this proverb, which is referring to that, the animal references he was using earlier. So maybe he is referring to the teachers. But in my personal view, it's kind of a moot point because it applies to both of them. It doesn't matter if you're a false teacher, or you're a one who was following the Lord and has been deceived and enticed away. The th- same thing is true. It says if you've escaped the defilements at one point of the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then you're entangled in them again, the last state that you're in, where you are being pulled back in, is worse than where you were before. You see, it's one thing to not know about hope, to not have a hope, to not ever heard these things and be there. And it's quite another to have heard the hope, to received it, to been set free, and then go back into it. Because one of them is is based on ignorance, but the other one is an act of one's will. It's willful walking away. And I've met people who have walked away. I've met people who have have, uh, walked with the Lord and then fallen away, and oftentimes it's a real struggle for them to come back into the fold. Because they remember how it was, and and now they're even in worse places of guilt and shame. Because they think, how could I ever get back? How could I ever, God love me, how could it ever be the same as it was before? I've actually had conversations like this with people. Because the problem is, is that they were set free, and then they walked back into the old lifestyle, the old sin, all those things that had a hold of them. And then ultimately, the reason why it's worse than the last is because when you go back in, you get a few more chains attached a few more shackles attached. So now not only were they dealing with the old stuff, but now they're also dealing with shame and guilt and that that wondering if God could ever love. They, they, they're actually in a worse place. That's what it says here. That When they've been set free, when they come back, they're in a worse state. It would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the Holy Commandment delivered to them. And I imagine if you end your life in that way, it's going to be, you know, the... While I don't think it's a valid argument, I could imagine someone making the argument that they didn't know when they're standing before Jesus one day. But that's a much different place than I knew when I walked away. You know, it's interesting, depending on who you talk to, and, um, and there, there's this whole idea of, you know, once saved, always saved. And there's different ways to look at that. So there's, there's three main ways that people look at that. One, there's once saved, always saved in the sense that if somebody is a Christian or a believer or walking as a believer and they fall away, some would say they've never been saved at all. They weren't actually ever saved. They just pretended to be, I guess. Then there are those who say that, that once you say the sinner's prayer, once you, once you, once you receive salvation, then, then nothing you can ever do would lose salvation. You could, you could get saved and then do whatever you want for the rest of your life. And I don't think that's accurate. It doesn't fit the scriptures. I think personally that we can walk with moments of faith where we're saved, but if we walk away, now nobody can ever steal your salvation. The devil can't steal it from you. Nobody can ever take it from you. But you can walk away. And this is, it. This is what he says right here is, uh, you know, When people argue that that's not possible, then why does the scripture say stuff that they had the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, but now they're entangled and overcome again? How could you have that and go back if it wasn't possible? And this isn't the only scripture that talks about it. But the good news is you don't have to stay that way. You don't have to stay in that position. You see, look, it's worse off for you if you stay there. But if you don't stay there, if you don't stay with that mentality, if you come back to the Lord, he's always there with arms open, arms waiting. He's just waiting for you to come back home. He's just waiting for you to return, to, 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 to walk away from that deception. We don't have to stay in that position. It's not a good place to be in, but you don't have to stay there. false teachers or anyone that's been deceived by them, anyone who's fallen away, they can repent and they can return. Jesus said that, uh, I forget the exact wording, but long story short, uh, you don't want to be the person that causes one of his children to stumble. But the good news is, is there's grace to even cover that. It doesn't matter if you were a false teacher or you were deceived by one and you walked away from the true gospel. If you you walked when looking for something else, all you have to do is turn back towards him. He's still waiting with open arms. And the same is true. It just takes repentance. It just takes an about face. Quit looking at your sins. Start looking at him and let him move and work in your life. And for the love of God. Read your Bible so you know who he is. Understand who he is. So you don't get deceived again. So you don't walk away again. Because that's your greatest defense. Against these false teachers. Because it sounds good. And they can even make it sound religious. They can make it sound like it's from the Bible. And if you don't know it. It's easy to be deceived. And. This isn't something that's new. I mean, false teachers were in the Old Testament, false prophets. They were happening in the early church, and they're happening today. One of the things I've, I've noticed about the, the, the Bible and verses today is that technology has changed. People haven't. You know, that's why the, the Bible is so powerful today, because it's, it's, it doesn't depend on our technology People are the same, and that's why it still applies. So that's why you can read about uh, the Corinthian church and go, man, that looks a lot like us. That's why you can read about that stuff, because people haven't changed. So the same thing is true for us today. We have to be wary of false prophets, false teachers, and we need to be prepared ourselves so that we're not easily deceived. Amen? And then if you ever find yourself or you know anybody that's found themselves in that situation, just encourage them. They can come back home. They're not excluded. They're, there's nothing that they've done. They can exclude them from the love of God and encourage them to come back home. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.